How many of you by this point have already had some sort of Christmas gathering where gifts have been exchanged? All right, several of you. How many of you received, have received a gift? All right, um, so you can resonate with this. Uh, last weekend, we had the privilege of going to my family's home in southern Indiana and celebrating Christmas with my parents and all but one of my siblings and their families, and gifts were exchanged. Uh, there's something that happens when gifts get exchanged before Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, especially in the heart of a child. It just like amplifies this need to open more. It's like an accelerant, and maybe you've lived that as a parent, a grandparent, an older sibling. Like once they just taste one, uh, they, they want another one, right? And then so they come home from that gathering, and they're like, hey, can, can we open gifts at, at our house now? And you have to be like, oh, slow down, slow down. Like Christmas Eve's not here yet, or Christmas Day's not here yet. That happened in our home, and I'm not a very good father, and I kind of... Um, worked it to my advantage. So we, we, we came home from my parents' home, and Monday night we're settling back in and get ready for the week ahead. And uh, our, one of our sons comes to me and he says, hey, Dad, can, can we just open one of our gifts early? And I looked at him, I was like, you know what? Maybe we'll just do the 12 gifts of Christmas. And each day leading up to Christmas, we'll open a new gift each day. And his eyes are like, are you serious? Like, is this going to happen? And I was like, nah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> And I felt bad in the moment, but I felt even worse because I think he thinks he's getting 12 different gifts and like he's not getting them. But, but you guys kind of get the idea that there's this anticipation that grows. And we typically, I think, associate anticipation and Christmas with gifts. And we, we typically have that image of a young child who sees maybe the package or the stocking and, and they just can't wait for it to get there. And, and some of you are smart and you're like, you know what, anticipation is going to destroy my child. And like they, they, they open them early and so you don't put the gifts out even until Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. Um, but anticipation we associate with receiving those gifts. But we see anticipation in Christmas a number of other places. It's in the gift giving, isn't it? Some of you, who would consider yourself, it's okay to be proud, uh, that you're a great gift giver, all right? I want to be your friend. Um, like, you, you think about gifts way in advance. Some of you, and I've heard your stories, in January, you're already plotting out Christmas for the following December, and you're putting all kinds of thought into it. You're imagining what it would be, and then part of your fun is that you imagine the response of the person receiving the gift. So there's anticipation not only in receiving, but in giving. There's anticipation that kind of simmers uh, in our meal preparations during the Advent season. You anticipate who's going to eat that food with you, who's going to taste it, where you're going to go, the party, where you're going to hang out. There's an anticipation that lingers in our living rooms as we await the right people coming into our home at the right time and the laughter and the stories. Uh, there's even an anticipation once that room is empty of when it will be full again. Uh, my, my mom had a full house last Saturday. My grandmother celebrated her 87th birthday. Although I wrote, gave her a card that said happy 88th because I can't count, which was kind of funny and ironic. Um, she had a full house on Sunday to celebrate Christmas with her family. And Monday night, my mom sent me a text and she said, it just feels so empty because here she is with my dad and what was a home full of 16, 17 people now just has the two of them. And I can tell you, my mom's heart's anticipating the next time her home is full again. 
Anticipation is really an emotion or a feeling of the season. But here's what I would submit to you. That anticipation is much deeper than our cultural customs of Christmas. The anticipation that's evidenced in those customs actually hints at something much deeper that I would even suggest is really encoded on your God-given DNA. We just finished singing a song, a classic Christmas hymn, called O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it is really an ancient anthem of anticipation. When I say classic, like I mean classic. Some of you would say Amazing Grace is a classic hymn. Some of you would say How Great Their Art is a classic hymn. But let me tell you how classic O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel first surfaced during the 9th century A.D. 1,200 years ago. For 1,200 years, someone has been singing in a variety of languages, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Like, that's classic. That's vintage. That's like before vinyl. I mean, this is, this is, this is legit classic Christmas hymn. Why does a song endure for a millennium and more? Be- because it's timeless. Why do some of our carols that we sing still Uh, ignite emotion within us because there's some timeless qualities to it. Why why is it that uh, a seven-year-old hears Bing Crosby sing White Christmas and they'd rather have that than John Legend because there's something timeless? O come, O come, Emmanuel is timeless. And why is it timeless? It's the message the, the, the writer of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is trying to tap into those feelings and those emotions of God's original followers and what they might have been feeling in the decades and centuries leading up to the coming of the Messiah, the advent of Jesus Christ. I said it's an ancient anthem of anticipation. And when we say ancient, like you can say something's ancient, like you might say your your grandparents ancient, that's really not very nice of you, but you might say that and you're thinking like 80 years ancient. Um, Judging by the looks on some of your faces, you've heard that from a grandchild. We're talking ancient as in the origins of the heaven and the earth. You go back to the garden, God creates things good and perfect. You'll find that in Genesis chapter 1 and in chapter 2. It's beautiful. Uh, God creates, it's good. God creates, it's good. God creates, it's good. God creates, it's good. He creates mankind. He says it's very good. Beauty, harmony uh, in relationships among mankind and the rest of creation. Things are incredible. And in Genesis 3, we learn that things began to fall apart as Adam and Eve disobeyed God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then brokenness enters humanity through sin. And you're probably familiar with the curses. We have the curse upon the woman that uh, her, her pain and labor will be great. We have the curse um, that, that her relationship with her husband will be just affected for a really long time. Her desire will be for her husband and he'll rule over her. Please remember that's part of the curse. That's not articulating God's plan. Then we have the curse on man that he'll work the ground with great labor and strife and blood and sweat and tears. But you know what the first curse was for? Go to Genesis 3, uh, the enemy. It's a cursed will be you as you have to slither along the ground. And he says that the offspring of the woman will crush your head. 
If you then move into Genesis chapter 4, and if you were to put on the mindset of an early Hebrew person learning to follow God, you've been rescued from Egypt, you've been brought into the desert, Moses is leading you, he goes up on a mountain, he receives these instructions for God to help you find your place in his story, and as he's telling you the story, he tells you about how good things were. You begin to see how things fell apart, and you hear about the curse upon the serpent, and the curse upon the woman, and the curse upon the man, and you get to Genesis chapter 4, and the very first verse is this. Adam made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to a man or to a son. If you're a people anticipating that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head, what maybe jumps inside of you as you hear about someone being born in the aftermath of that sin? It's anticipation. It's hope. And if you read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you will see offspring and childbirth feature prominently. And as people live this new story of God, there's this subtle anticipation at times, sometimes maybe a great anticipation, that with every birth, maybe the rescuer is coming. And there are times in Israel's history where it runs high and they believe that they're so close to, to seeing the fullness of God coming and, and rescuing them and restoring them. And there are times because of their rebellion and because of their disobedience that it just seems like this distant shimmer of light on the horizon, kind of like that, that light in the distance on a dark winter night as you're driving on a highway all by yourself. It, it seems like that. And then that only becomes amplified as time goes on and we add to the promise of one to crush the serpent's head, the promise to Abraham, how a nation will be blessed and, 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 and God will bless the world through that nation, through the offspring of Abraham. Then we have Moses who rescues Israel and God makes a covenant that they'll inherit a land that will be full of milk and honey, this land that's flowing, this land that's beautiful, this land that's full. And that gives way to a king. And, and King David is told that, that someone will rule on his throne forever and all this stuff just keeps building the expectation, keeps building the anticipation that God is going to make things right. And then, and then what happens? As the people's hearts turn from God, God's discipline comes in the form of foreign kings and kingdoms, and our people are taken off to captivity. And while they have this ancient hope and anticipation they're real people like you and me, and they cry, and they grieve, and they mourn. They cry out in labor pain, and they cry out in desperation, and they cry out for justice. But all of these are whispers of an anticipation that there is someone that would come to make things right, to crush the enemy, to destroy the one who brings so much destruction into our lives. And that's the sentiment that the writer of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel wanted to grab. He wanted to take these early Christians on a journey to say, listen, the one who we worship, the one who came, the one who was born to Mary, and everything we associate with the beautiful nativity scene, it, it came as in, uh, the fulfillment of this great anticipation. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Come, come, God, be with us. Restore us. Remember in the garden, God was separated from mankind. They were pushed out from his presence. Come, come, be with us. Ransom us as captives. We mourn in lowly exile here. Come free us. It captures well the emotion of those early followers of God. They were people who knew brokenness. They have this full, whole picture of what life should be, and yet their experience doesn't match because their experience is one of fractured pieces and broken glass. There were people who knew broken dreams. 
They'd heard promises of one to come and fulfill. They'd heard promises of a land. They'd heard promises of a king. They heard promises through the prophets, and yet they hadn't tasted the grapes, and they hadn't seen the honey, and they, they hadn't experienced that fullness again. They were people who were characterized by broken hearts. They, their, their relationships with each other were severed. There's a beautiful but difficult picture of this in the uh, kingdoms. God's people get divided into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, and they go to war with each other. Relationships are fractured within God's family. Relationships within families are destroyed as husbands and wives are, are torn apart. They knew broken hearts. They knew the brokenness caused by sin. They knew that their rebellion had had an effect not only on themselves, but on other people. And so when, when they would cry out for the Messiah, they were anticipating someone who would make things whole. I want to lead you on this journey because I want you to see that we have much in common when it comes to our anticipation of God making things whole. Uh, let's just try to relate to them. Do you know broken, uh, brokenness caused by sin? You know, if you picture sin like a stone, it hits the, the placid pond and what happens? There's this, this ripple effect, Right? Uh, you've been there. Um, uh, maybe you say a harsh word to your mother or father inside the home and suddenly um, dad or mom's mood is turned and then you see a sibling kind of get the brunt of that hurt or that frustration and then their day kind of gets a little more grumpy and the effects just ripple out. Maybe you cheat on a test or an exam and you think you got by with it and suddenly you're caught. Not only do you have to repeat that course, but now that teachers had to have the awkward conversation, she thought you were a student that could be trusted. She goes home and she's venting to her, her husband and they have the ripple effect. We see it in, in greater ways as well. I think of drunkenness, for example, and we see drunkenness affect our body. It, um, you know, the blood alcohol level causes our judgment to be impaired and our reaction time. And then people get inside of a vehicle and they drive it and they get in an accident, and then you have the car that's totaled, and, and the ripples just keep expanding, and the innocent person who was hit, and it keeps expanding, and the volunteer firefighter gets called to the scene and leaves his child's Christmas program, and the ripples just keep expanding. We see the brokenness of sin, and we've all tasted it. We've all felt it. Felt it. We've all felt it. Uh, we know it's bitterness. We also know broken dreams, don't we? Which of us hasn't longed for something, longed for someone, or longed to go someplace? We've built it up in our minds. We, we want it to become a reality. And then before we know it, that dream is crushed. Um, I'm pretty sure that on Christmas morning, I'm going to crush some dreams. Because <laughs> there have been some pretty big asks of mom and dad, and those asks probably aren't going to be fulfilled. But we know that broken dreams go much bigger than the gifts that we receive. I know that some of you um, today and this week and this year, um, you would probably say that things are characterized by broken dreams for you. Uh, you thought that that relationship would last. You thought that you would see this come in your home or with this person, and now you have a diagnosis. There's a disease. There's some difficulty or tragedy, and your dreams seem broken. Which of us has experienced a broken heart? In various forms, I think we could all raise our hand, whether you're a, 
uh, fifth, sixth, seventh grader who someone said yes to you and then they decided they liked somebody else and they said yes or, or whether you've experienced deep betrayal, you know a broken heart. I was trying to think back about my first experience with a broken heart, and um, I don't have many of them because I didn't have many girlfriends. So, um, but I could think of one, and when I was a senior in high school, this is probably the most vivid for me, um, and you'll, you'll see why in a moment. It was a week before my senior prom, and uh, I had been dating this girl for probably three months. We were going to go to the prom together, and it was a big deal for me because the last year I had gone to the prom with a good friend, but it wasn't a girlfriend, and you guys know it can be a little different if you're actually with a girlfriend, and so I'm excited to go to this prom, and I get a call the week before prom, and my girlfriend, uh, for about the next 10 seconds, uh, tells me that she wants to break up with me. So that hurt, you know, it kind of knocks the wind out of you, right? And, uh, and then she proceeded to say that she knew this complicated things for the prom, and so she was trying to be proactive, and she had invited somebody else to go to the prom with her, and so it just kind of knocks the wind out a little bit more. You're, you know, trying to breathe, trying to gasp for air, and she, she just took it to a whole nother level, and she said, well, here's the deal, Craig. I actually called the place where you rented your tux, and um, they said it would just take a few minor adjustments. This guy's about your size, and if you would, if you would just call them, they would transfer the tux into his name. No, seriously, right? And so at that point, like, I am just gassed. My mom gets on the phone. She says a lot of things she would later regret. And uh, that, is, that is my first instance of heartbreak. What I've come to see, though, is that that heartbreak pales in comparison to some of the more significant heartbreaks in life. Um, we can't avoid them. They happen. And I know that for some of you, even recently, your hearts have been broken. Why do we go on this journey of broken dreams and being broken by sin and broken hearts? Because I want you to be reminded that what you feel and what you experience in that is the same longing that the people of God had before. It's the same longing the writer of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel was trying to capture. That there is something in our experience in this life that we know is not as it should be. Sometimes it smacks us and it runs us over and, and, and we, we long for something more. We crave that same anti- with anticipation that there's a time of fullness and wholeness and victory and rescue coming. But here's where our roads diverge. Whereas Israel kept anticipating and anticipating and anticipating. We live on this side of the manger. The rescuer has come in, 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 in that forgotten city on what we call a silent night, however, that song's messed up, right? Because if you've had a baby, you know there's not a silent night. But in that silent night, in that forgotten city of Bethlehem, in that humble place, when that child was born, that little footprint that you have probably seen of your own child or grandchild, within that footprint, within those pudgy toes, was the full weight of God's authority beginning the final blow on the serpent and the enemy. And what breaks us and what shakes us and what haunts us in this life cannot prevail. God has overcome. That that, that small child that was born, conceived of the Holy Spirit inside Mary, is the Savior of the world, the Messiah that they were waiting for, the Son of God they were waiting for, the one who will ransom every captive, who will free us from our sin, who makes sure that disease and sin and difficulty don't prevail for eternity. 
We've been in this series called Come to Jesus. Our hope is that you would see clearly that that Jesus came for us, that we might come to him. Whether you're opposed to him, you can still come. He welcomes you. If you're an outcast and you don't think you have a place, he welcomes you. And what we want you to see this morning is that even when you're broken, whether it's broken dreams or broken hearts or being broken by sin, you can come to him because he came for you. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, the most beautiful part of that song is not the haunting, ominous uh, dirge at the beginning, but it's the chorus, right? Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to us. God has bridged the gap between us and him, come to restore what was broken and fractured in the beginning. The enemy is being crushed. Victory is at hand. That's the beauty of Christmas. That's what we celebrate. So if you're here today and you feel broken by any of the things that we've mentioned, know that it doesn't have the final word. There's this, there's this song that's been going through my mind this Advent season, and the lyrics of it, I don't remember the name of this song, but the lyrics are along these lines. It says, the cross has the final word. Jesus came to live, to crush the enemy, to free us from sin. He was pierced and, and killed on a cross, and he died for our sin, and he rose victoriously from the grave. The cross has the final word. He's, he's victorious. And so you can rejoice no matter the brokenness you're enduring because you can anticipate that what we long for is soon to be fulfilled when the second coming happens. The second advent of Jesus. I want to walk you through some of probably your favorite parts in the Christmas story just so you can have this hope of joy anchored in you. In Matthew chapter 1 is the famous encounter of Joseph and the angel Joseph and Mary are engaged to be married. Um, uh, Verse 18 says that before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, like, I just want to read behind the words a little bit. Like, here you are, Joseph, married to this woman, and all of a sudden she's battling a, a lot of sickness and nausea for a while, and and then suddenly she's looks like she's maybe gaining a little bit of weight and and then suddenly it's kind of all in the same place and and so he recognizes that wait a second something's going on with Mary and uh, I don't think I had any part in that. And so he loves her so much he decides to divorce her quietly. And that's when the angel comes verse 20. But after he'd considered this an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said Joseph son of David Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Hear that ancient anticipation. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means what, Charlie Brown? God with us. God with us. That, that, that God came to bridge that gap and said, Joseph, I know this is crazy. I know this seems a little sketchy, uh, but understand that my spirit is at work in this and you just stick with her because she's giving birth to that ancient hope that you've anticipated, your people have anticipated for generations. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come. And we can go to the probably more familiar one uh, in Luke chapter 1 or chapter 2 where the Christmas story unfolds. And uh, Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem and Mary gives birth to the child. And we hear about an event that takes place in the hills outside of Bethlehem. 
some shepherds watching after their sheep. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great what? Joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for, the one you've been anticipating, the one you've been longing for that will rescue you and redeem you, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. We cannot underestimate the power of these words. The fulfillment of the hope of Israel was coming to pass, and not just their hope, but ours. So if you are broken this morning, understand that there is one who has come, and he is putting back the pieces even if you can't see it. And he's healing broken hearts. I love the words of the psalmist. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those crushed in spirit. Understand that if you're broken by sin, uh, even if it's someone else's, that it does not have the final say because God has brought victory. You may not see it uh, now. You may not see it uh, for a long time. You may not see it till he returns. Understand if you've been broken by your own sin, there is forgiveness and grace because of the one who came. If your dreams are broken, there is one who can fulfill the biggest and greatest dream your heart ultimately longs for. God planted eternity in the human heart. If you're brokenhearted, there's one who heals those things and draws them back together. And his name is Jesus. And the hard part of this is that while we can know it, we don't experience it in its fullness right now. This story is repeated in homes all across the United States. A, a college student comes home from college over Thanksgiving break, and their, their parent or parents engage in a conversation with them. What do you want for Christmas? And they learn that the things that they want are far more expensive than the things that they once used to want. Like a G.I. Joe no longer suffices. Now it's a MacBook Air, and, and you, you get these big requests. And so the parent says, hey, I don't want to really make this decision on my own, so I want to take you with me. And so in those sales after Thanksgiving, they take the young adult to the store and they pick out that thing that they, they really, really want, but they probably really, really need. And, and the parent gives those ominous lines. Now, I know that this is for Christmas, and so you're going to have to wait. And I'm going to wrap it and put it under the tree. And so that, that student returns back to college or goes back to what they were doing. And they think of all the ways that they could be using what they what they, what they have already coming. They know they're going to get it. They know it's just a few weeks away, and they, they think about all the ways to be really practical right now, but they just can't hold on to it, and the anticipation kind of keeps them. Okay, I just got to wait two more weeks, and it's going to be there. One more week, and it's going to be there. And Christmas Day comes, and they, they finally open that thing. They already know what it is, and then they get it, and it's like, oh my goodness, this is a game changer. This is far better than I ever imagined, more than I ever anticipated. This is what happens for us in Christ. We know that victory is ours, that he has conquered but we don't get the experience in its fullness right now. Now, there's a lot of anticipation. There's a lot of joy that comes with knowing that our rescue is secure, that he's defeated the enemy, that, that sin and death and tears don't have the final say. But we're waiting for that second coming when we experience it in a fullness that will be far greater than we've ever imagined, hoped, or dreamed. 
if you're one of our uh, um, servers helping um, give communion this morning, if you'd go ahead and make your way to the back of the room. Um, we'll do that in just a minute. I, I want to I end with a part of Luke chapter 2 that we often don't include in our Christmas uh, readings or conversations. After we hear the announcement to the shepherds and they go and they check out uh, Jesus for themselves and those famous words about Mary treasuring them in her heart, we find Jesus being brought to the temple. We're told in verses 25 and 26 that there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. Uh, He was God-fearing. He was obedient. uh, He loved God and tried to honor him with his life is what that means. And look what he was waiting for. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. If you'd like to underline or highlight in your Bibles, I'd encourage you to underline the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So here's this older gentleman who's obedient. And the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, listen, uh, just hang on. You're going to live until you see the consolation of Israel. Now, there's some really cool words you miss in English here. The word for consolation is translated from the Greek word paraklesis. It means comfort. But for those of you that have been following Jesus for a while, you probably hear another word in there. Maybe you hear paraclete. Paraclesis, comforter, uh, comfort. But the great comfort of the Holy Spirit goes by the name paraclete in the Greek. So, so here's the beauty. Simeon is waiting for the fulfillment of the comfort, the anticipation that Israel has longed for. And it's the comforter, the paraclete, that tells him he'll see that day. So the God of all comfort, who it was and is and is to come and has always been a God of comfort, comes to Simeon and says, you're going to live to see the day when the fullness of the comfort and the longing of God's people is satisfied. Jesus is the fullness of the comfort that our hearts desperately long for. When, when we eat the bread at communion that represents his body and we drink the juice that represents his blood, Jesus tells us that we're proclaiming his death until he comes. It's a picture of anticipation fulfilled. We taste it now, but we'll taste it in its fullness later. It's the consolation of not only Israel, but all of us. So here's my challenge to you. As a follower of Jesus, as you share in the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, communion, whatever tradition you come from, the name you give it, um, as you eat that uh, piece of bread today and it is crushed beneath uh, the weight and the power of your teeth and you kind of feel that and hear that, may you think of your own brokenness and that Jesus was broken for you. And then as you take the drink of the grape juice that represents his blood, may you rejoice that Emmanuel has come and he dwells inside of you and he's making a way to your perfect wholeness 
as he does his work in you and as he works towards coming again. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the consolation, not only of Israel, but of us. God, meet us where we're at in our brokenness. Whatever form it comes in. And help us to see that you're working even when it hurts. May we cling to you and trust in you as you bring all things to their perfect end. Thank you, Father, for your son. And it's in his name we pray and share. In the name of Jesus, amen.